Hi there, this is Matt Wakeling and you are listening to the Guitar Speak podcast produced here in Sydney, Australia. Thank you so much for joining me. This week we meet one of my musical heroes, Brett Williams, lead guitarist from the Choir Boys. Now, if you grew up in Australia in the late 80s, it was impossible to avoid this band. They were everywhere and a fantastic band and Brett's incredible guitar playing super melodic super tasteful and yet rocking all at the same time was a really big part of that sound it was uh, very exciting for me to meet Brett and you'll hear that interview shortly alright first off though here's a word from my good friends Mick and Jeff from the Amps and Axes podcast from Baltimore in the United States Hey, Podcast World, I'm Jeff Bober. And I'm Mick Marcellino of Amps and Axis. That's right, and we've got a cool podcast that talks with guitarists, manufacturers, engineers, and techs. Yeah, so check us out every Saturday on iTunes and Google Play. That's right. And as we're always saying, onward. All right, thank you, gentlemen. Yes, definitely check out that podcast, Amps and Axis. All right, on to our interview of the day with Brett Williams. Now, when Brett joined the Choir Boys back in 1987, his timing couldn't have been better. The band was on the cusp of recording Big Bad Noise, which went on to be one of the best-selling Australian albums of the 1980s. Brett's trademark melodic style helped propel such hits as Run to Paradise, Boys Will Be Boys, and Struggle Town to the top of the Australian charts. We talk about Brett's amazing career, starting off in Brisbane, a year spent in LA in his early 20s, going to GIT, like a few of our recent guests, actually. Uh, We talk about him moving to Sydney to join the Choir Boys, what was going on behind those iconic video clips of the 1980s, vintage Les Pauls, and much, much more. Now, I need to thank our friend Jay Perino. Now, Jay, uh, as you will know, is a great guitar player, also from Sydney. He was featured in the Guitar Speak podcast, episode 20. And Jay really set this interview up with Brett, so my thanks definitely go to Jay. Now, the audio sounds a little different from a regular episode of the podcast. That's because I'm at Brett's place. Got to meet him in person, which was really, really cool. And I'm just recording on a little handheld recorder, so that's why the slight change in the regular audio. Now, before we speak to Brett, I want you to hear a little bit of his playing. Uh, It's a good chance you've already heard the hits, but this is a track called One Hot Day and features some amazing guitar playing. Check it out. The Guitar Speak podcast. Thank you for having me. Great, great to have you. Now, so much to talk about, and you're up to lots of really great stuff now in your career. But um, where where did you start out? Where did you grow up? Let's start there. Okay, I grew up in Brisbane. Yeah. Um, I was on the Gold Coast for the first couple of years, but then yeah, grew up in Brisbane. Um, 
my dad was a doctor and so we moved about a bit. Um, we went and lived in England for a year. Mm -hmm. So we were in England in 68, which is when music was really happening. Yeah. That's great. Um, but I was a bit young. But I, we looked through all their old... Um, Dad made a big album in some of those um, wallpaper sample books. Oh, yeah, he, yeah. he drew maps and put postcards and you know said we went here and showed all the trips and everything. And, uh -huh. and he and I didn't realise, but he and Mum used to go up to London every weekend, or just about every weekend, and they'd see all these shows, amazing shows like, um, you know, they saw the Seekers in 1968 yeah, in London, wow. you know, and and they went to you know Funny Girl play, you know, saw Rudolf Nureyev, all this sort of you know yeah, fantastic cool. stuff that you wouldn't have done here. But anyway, um, I think being over there at that time was quite good for me musically. Um, but yeah, I, I, my cousins had acoustic guitars, mm -hmm. and um, and I thought they were great. And they they played acoustic guitar, but they had a Black Sabbath album. <laughs> <laughs> so I loved Black Sabbath from then, and yeah. uh, I got a guitar the next Christmas on my twelfth. I was twelve at the time. And that's when I started. Great, yeah. great. And what kind of stuff were you playing? Like, were you taking lessons, or how'd you get started? Um, I, I, you know, obviously played a broomstick a bit in the mirror. That was my first <laughs> tuition. Yes, yes. <laughs> from, from my stage presence. Yeah, good. Yeah, I think we all did that. Yeah. Or a tennis racket. Or yeah, all that, yeah, all that stuff. That's good. Um, <laughs> a bit embarrassing, but... Um, but yeah, I, I tried to learn stuff, listen to records and learn stuff that way. But I did have a teacher who, um, he used to teach me, like, Rolling Stones licks and stuff like that. It was yeah. a bit different, you know. It was like I was going to this guitar school, and he had to follow the was it Mel Bay or something curriculum, which was like ah uh, yeah you know you know sort of weird sort of you know um, my my fair lady and all sorts of weird things. But aside from that, he used to just pull you know pull out a little you know Mick Taylor lick, or he introduced me to Dwayne Allman. Wow, and cool. stuff like that. So he's a really cool guy, and, and that sort of gave me some nice stuff to think about. But I never practiced enough to do uh -huh. it justice, unfortunately. So is this back in Brisbane? Yeah. Yeah. This is when I was probably about 13, 14. Okay, cool. And were you playing acoustic or electric? Um, no, I had a really crappy acoustic guitar to start with, yeah. and then um, I begged my dad to get me a guitar. And I always kick myself because I really loved SGs because my favourite album was Get Ye Eyes Out and he was holding a, an SG on the front of that. Okay, yeah, yeah. And uh, Mick Taylor used to play one and I like, loved the Stones. And um, so we went to the guitar store and there was this gorgeous SG. I've never seen one like it. It was almost like a Les Paul but double cutaway. Okay. And um, it was gorgeous. And it was, I remember it was $300. And um, so it was probably like a 60s model or something. Mm -hmm. And, uh, but it didn't come with an amp. So I said, no, I'll take that Coronet SG <laughs> copy with the 15 watt amp. Yeah, yeah. Okay. And so I did that and I've kicked myself ever since. But anyway, <laughs> it meant I could make some noise and, and play. So I played Black Sabbath and all that sort of stuff and learned on that. And then I think I had that for about a year and then my dad bought me my first decent guitar. Just a telecaster, a thin line.
Wow, cool. I've still got that. Great. So, so what year is that one? 72, 73, something like that. Yeah, cool. So is that with the humbuckers? Yeah. Yeah, nice. Yeah. Great, man. That's yeah. cool. It's a really nice guitar. I used it um, a while back playing status quo stuff through a Marshall, like a Plexi. Yeah. And it just really had this wompa wompa sort of sound. It was just perfect. It was <laughs> That's really, great. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. We, we do, um, did you have doing garage bands or um, playing with other guys? We had a school band. Yeah. Well, actually, my brother was in the school band. This is when I was, must have been 14, 15. I think I was in you know, year 11 or something like that. Mm -hmm. And my brother was in the school band and the other guitarist, um, was the lead guitarist and he said you should join the band and you can be lead guitarist and I'll be rhythm so he was very uh -huh. generous and we're still friends uh, because of that <laughs> <laughs> but um, so I joined the school band and uh, the band was called Zachariah but we, it was always labelled by our friends as Slackariah because we never rehearsed <laughs> but we'd always played school we were, I went to Brisbane Grammar School and we always played the school dances and stuff like that cool. so we'd rehearse just for the dances and that was about it yeah cool but, but we played a great mix of songs was, you know like yeah, Black Sabbath and Status Quo and Rolling Stones and um, Led Zeppelin and Eagles, and you know, it was, it was good, and it was all stuff that was being played at the time. It wasn't like a yeah. now, now you play that stuff, and it's like, oh, it's you know, retro sort of yeah. classics, but mm -hmm. it was actually going on at the time. Yeah, awesome. Yeah, it was good. When did you have that moment, like the light bulb moment, when you thought, okay, the guitar's going to be a really big part of my life? Yeah, the day I got it, yeah, I knew from that moment that that's all I was going to do uh -huh. for the rest of my life, which you know, it's great because. None of my friends knew what, what they wanted to do. Mm -hmm. you know, even when they left school, you know, they went to uni or they didn't go to uni or whatever, but yeah. they never really knew at that age what they wanted to do. But I knew from 12 exactly what I wanted to do. Yeah. So I always felt really blessed yeah, to yeah. have that. Yeah. Cool. And did that drive you to, like, your band was slacker, right? But did, <laughs> did that drive you to practice hard? Or to... Yeah, yeah, I practiced a lot. I, um, back in those days, I used to practice... I could practice up to eight hours a day for a long time. Uh -huh. um, but then, you know, as I got into those older teen years, you know, you get distracted. Sure. But I, I was playing in bands by then. Okay, so professionally? Uh, yeah, I, um, I really wanted to study music and, and, and get to learn the theory of it and everything. I, mm -hmm. It was important to me to understand it because I, you know, like there's the creative side of you and then there's the logical side. I think I'd like to be more focused on the creative side because then I'd probably be a better player, but I'm sort of, I think I'm balanced. And so the logic side of me, logical side of me is really important to me as well. Mm -hmm. um, and so I wanted to understand what it was. Yeah. <clears throat> so I, um, excuse me, I went to Queensland Uni and I studied, I went to do an, well, I started doing science. I was doing a geology degree. Yeah. Because <laughs> my dad was a doctor and he wanted me to be a doctor, and I said, I'm not going to be a doctor. And so he said, You can do science for a year and then you can swap over to medicine. So, okay, I'll do that. So I did science for a year and I swapped to arts because I wanted to do music. But um, I didn't know at the time they wouldn't let me do music in the first year of arts. So mm -hmm. it was too long a wait for me. So I went to the conservatorium and did yeah. a year there. And while I was there, I saw stuff about GIT, 
and so I uh, sent an audition tape and my brother did too and we got accepted and and we planned and then went to LA, lived there for a year and went wow. to GIT. That's and great. BIT, yeah. Yeah, cool. So your brother's a bass player? Yeah. Nice. Now when was this? What, what year? Uh, 1980. Oh, okay, wow. Yeah. So this is quite early on. Yeah, yeah, it was, well I was, what was I about? Oh, I don't, I can't remember. I was early 20s. Okay. Um, and um, it was a great time to be over there because the school in the early days, after that, it changed to the Musicians Institute and it was all shreddy guys, you know, okay. in, that, in the mid 80s. Yeah. From then on, it was all because I went back and visited when we were there recording with choir boys mm -hmm. and I uh, went to the school and it was just like big long frizzy hair <laughs> and, you know, weird shaped guitars with wang bars and yeah. everyone would go. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, which is great, but it, yeah. it was it was a jazz school when it started. Yeah, yeah. And so Howard Roberts was the yeah, was that's it? right. Yeah, was yeah. he there? Yeah, he, he was there. there. Yeah, he was there. Um, he was more an admin. I think Joe Diorio was the main sort of jazz guy, and Ron Eshte, mm -hmm. and Keith White was there doing. Um, I think he was doing mostly blues. Yeah, he was the blues teacher. That's right. Because then Robin Ford came in and was a guest. Okay. He used to come in once every couple of weeks wow. and do cool. a guest thing. So I got to jam with him on stage wow. in the school, which That's is awesome. great. Yeah. Um, and it was that time, I went there because I wanted to see people like Larry Carlton and, and, and those sorts of people, Robin Ford. Um, but I didn't, uh, Larry Carlton didn't, Carlton didn't come to the school, but I went and saw him in clubs quite a few times. Okay, so that was yeah. good. Um, but uh, the other teacher that was there was uh, Pat Martino. Oh, okay. He was my favorite player at the wow. time. So that was great. Fantastic Good to meet him. So you grew up into Sabbath and that kind of stuff. Were you playing jazz then? No, the not time? then. Uh, oh, well, when by I the went, time you got to GIT? Well, by the time I got to GIT, I was, I was into uh, fusion mostly. Okay. Yeah. Not so much straight jazz, but yeah, just the fusion stuff. And uh, I liked, you know, Steve Lukather and yeah, yeah, you know, Larry Carlton, Robin Ford, all those sorts of guys that were doing that sort of stuff. Yeah. Lee Rittenau. Yeah. Awesome. I guess all the session guys. Because mm -hmm. I used to buy records and then look at who was on the liner notes. Yeah, yeah. That was what what it was all about. Yes. Oh, you know that guitarist on there and that sax player and that drummer, and you know you just you, and then you could just look at it and you wouldn't know who the artist was, but if the players you liked were on it, you just buy the record and you'd find yeah. all these new artists because they were hiring the good people. Yeah, yeah. cool. Yeah. yeah, it sounds like an amazing time to be in LA. Yeah, yeah. Awesome. So you did that for the year and yeah. back home. Back home. Um, what did you get from the course then? Were there some major things that stuck with you? Yeah, um, I learnt to um, to actually transcribe because mm -hmm. we had to do a major transcription of a solo piece that we wanted, yeah. that we liked. And I did a, a Pat Martino song and so um, when I came back I got my copyist stamp and I, used, and I, I teamed up, I, I got employed by a composer that was had his pieces being played in all the symphony orchestras, orchestras around Australia. So I used to write charts for the orchestras. Wow! So that was right. that was something I got out of GIT that I never would have done. Mm -hmm. um, that was very stressful though, writing all those charts because it's always quick turnaround. Okay. And you hand, you're doing it by hand. Yeah. yeah. Was, but I loved that because I, you know, like I like drawing and stuff. So I had a calligraphy pen and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. So that was fun. Um, and also, I found with GIT the 
the range of people that were there was just really diverse mm -hmm. and they were there for lots of different reasons. But the one thing that I found was if they went in at this level, you know, one level, yeah. they came out proportionately better players by a long shot. Yeah. And so everyone, depending on the level, came out that much better. So, yeah. And you're exposed to so many good players. And the thing I found about it, oh, well, apart from having a guitar on you, strapped around your neck all day, yeah. every day, for a year, which is just you know something you dream about. Yes. Um, that seeing and hearing these great players every day, every night, you, you can go every night somewhere and see them in the clubs and whatever. You start to aspire to that and to think that it's possible. Mm -hmm. And I, I, I think you lose that when you get away from it. When I came back to Australia, you know, after a couple of years, I lost that sort of feeling. But. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, that, that was a good thing about being immersed in, in that sort of talent pool. Yeah. You cool. start to aspire to it and think that you can do it, which is great. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so I brought all that stuff back, all the other experience in different styles, the exposure to all sorts of different um, styles of music that I hadn't done before, which was really good. Um, and it, it helped me because I, when I came back to Brisbane, I started to do a lot of session work for different studios. Oh, okay. A couple of them hired me to do their guitar work. Great. So I played on lots of ads and you know, yeah. jingles and you know, different people, different artists that uh -huh. wanted to do stuff. So that was good. Good experience. Um, yeah. Cool. Very good. So it was a busy scene in Brisbane at the time. So this is, I guess, 81, 82? Yeah, 82, 80, early, yeah, early to mid 80s. Yeah. It was, um, yeah, there's a lot of stuff being recorded, mm -hmm. you know, for TV and, and stuff like that. I used to go down to the, um, you know, music farm in Byron Bay. It was run by Ian Mason. Yeah. Um, I used to drive down there after gigs and stay over. They had a little, you know, cabins that you could stay in. Uh -huh. And I'd do, uh, play on their jingles and stuff like wow, that. Cool. Which is good fun. Um, anyway, so... Working in the studio, the recording studio, I was actually working for a producer friend of mine that I went to school with. Mm -hmm. It was his one of the studios I worked in was his, and um, he ended up being the producer of the Choir Boys album oh, okay. that I that I, pl that I joined the band for. Wow! Because their guitarist left before the album. Yeah. And he said, oh, "I know someone," and he called me up. Oh, really? And I was wow. taking a break from my band at the time, the first break I'd ever had. Mm -hmm. And I said, "Oh yeah, I'll come." <laughs> That's great. Yeah. So, but I was playing in a in a band that was doing originals but covers as well. And we used to do, we used to go up and down the Queensland coast. You do a six week residence, no, four week residency in mm -hmm. each town. Then you go two hours north, two hours north, two hours north. Yeah. So you do, you know, um, Bundaberg, Gympie, Rockhampton, Townsville, Cairns, all those, all those sorts of places. Yeah, cool. Um, and you just play so much. You play six nights a week. You'd do four sets, four forty-five minute sets yeah, or something, yeah. and you'd be doing it months at a time. So you'd be, you know, going just four week chunks. So you got to play a lot. Yeah, cool. um, that's gonna be great. For great you. experience. Yeah. Get your stuff together. Yeah, but um, it's hard being a. It was hard being an originals band in Queensland at that time. Mm -hmm. There was nobody breaking through. We did get a record deal. Mm -hmm. um, in fact, Mark Moffat was in. It was the it was his label or something. Okay. But, but um, oh, he would no. He was going to sign us. That's right. And then, and then I think our lead singer. We did something stupid, you know, trying to be rock stars. You know, I dragged 
the lead singer into the into the the meeting. Mm -hmm. You know, I think he was drunk. <laughs> so <laughs> we thought it was funny, but they thought, well, we're not going to invest in these people. Right. Yeah. Before that, there was. Um, yeah, I was going to say this guy that was the producer in the studio I was doing sessions in. So who was that? Uh, Peter Blyton. Okay. Yeah. Uh, great songsmith, you know, like mm -hmm. just like if you want to get someone to help you with parts for your song or arrangements and stuff, he's just brilliant. Um, yeah. So um, and he was responsible for me getting into choir voice. <laughs> so that's good. Um, but. He, along with a film producer, decided to set up a band, mm -hmm. a recording band, and um, so I, they asked me to join it. Tim Gaze was in it, um, who's still one of my heroes. Um, yeah, my brother was in it. There's some really good players. Uh, John Carson, who plays with Kevin Burrich now. Wow, cool. Um, and we recorded. Uh, I think four tracks we came to Sydney, recorded them down here, and we released the single. And it was, I think it was top 10 in Queensland, okay. but didn't get any airplay down here. Sure. There was, some sort, there was a, some sort of embargo on our record company in the southern states at that time or something. One of those. Okay. <laughs> Tricks of fate. Anyway, it, yeah. it got exposure up there and it was good. We got to do a film clip and yeah, cool. do some recording. It was fun. Great. Yeah. So you mentioned the choir boys. Yep. So you got the tap on the shoulder just before uh, Big Bad Noise record. Yep. That's amazing. That's good timing. Good timing, wasn't it? <laughs> so it, if I got this right, they the band had started the album or they'd released a single? Um, I'm not sure. They had released Fireworks, uh, a version of Fireworks, yep. but it wasn't part of the album recording. Oh, okay. I think they'd done it post the previous album, yep. but as a single. Okay. Um, and released it. So when I came down, they were, um, we went up to a, a farm in near Yarramalong. Mm -hmm. uh, I think it was Angry Anderson's auntie's farm. Oh, okay. Yeah. And they had this great little chapel and, and, and you know, a bunkhouse and we just sort of workshopped the songs yeah. and, um, and worked them up and got, worked out parts and stuff like okay. that. Great. And then, then went into the studio and recorded them. Awesome. So yeah, it was, it was great for me, timing-wise. Fantastic. Yeah. So were you immediately born to the band, or were you, no. were, did you just come down as the guitar player to do the sessions? Yeah, I came down to do the sessions for that, yeah. and then um, went back, and that was the kick that I needed. I'd always known that I wanted to move to Sydney, because that was where you had to go. Yeah. Um, and so that was the impetus for me to pack up and move, so I did that within a couple of weeks. Yeah, wow. And actually, with... Peter Blyton, mm -hmm. he and I drove down in my old Merc yeah. with my, my recording, I had a, a little recording studio, a 12 track machine uh -huh. that took up the whole back seat <laughs> and stacked all my stuff in the boot and the back seat and he and I drove to Sydney wow. at about 160 kilometres per hour. <laughs> it was, yeah, it was weird. Back in those days you could speed and you didn't. He said he told me at one point we were driving along and he said a police car was coming the other way and they were waiting to us to stop and I didn't see them so I kept going and they, ne they never got us. But, but um, it was back in those days when you could do that. Oh, I was young and stupid I suppose. Anyway, I moved to Sydney on my 30th birthday mm -hmm. and I, we moved in to a place in Wilson's Point. I set up my recording gear and um, and 
was waiting sort of to see if the choir boys thing panned out because they were, were looking for a guitarist. Yeah. <clears throat> but I think they looked around mm -hmm. as well to see who else might be around. Yeah. I think Steve Edmonds might have been interested. Oh, okay. I never knew that until yeah. last week. And oh, really? Mark told me. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but they said they were looking for Sting, but they settled on me. Okay. <laughs> um, but anyway... Um, What's Sting going to do in The Quiet Boys? That's well, quite... someone that had Sting's presence. Right, right, right gotcha. Looks, you know, maybe. <laughs> um, yeah. So wow. So tell me about the actual recording process for that record. Um, well, the record in the end took a long time to, to finish because we, we did record... We recorded at EMI 301, yeah. um, and it's funny, Ivor was recording, um, uh, what was his big album from that era? Uh, Electric Blue, that sort of... Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. Man, was it Man of Colours? Man of Colours, I think yeah, it was, yeah. yeah. So I used to sit out and talk to the guitarist in, oh, cool. in the, you know, the lounge that was between the things. But uh, anyway, we recorded um, what we had of the album at that point, um, with Peter Blyton yep. and finished it all and um, um, and then I think the guys weren't happy with the mix because okay. Peter's production was great I think for helping us pull the songs together yeah, yeah. it was great for getting sounds and stuff like that but when it came to the mix they weren't happy so okay. um, and then also the record company stepped in because well, I'm probably getting out of time here, but you know, Run to Paradise was released, mm -hmm. and um, and I remember when it was released, um, it had been out for a few weeks, and it, it sort of came up the charts a little bit at the bottom of the top forty, and it started to go down, mm -hmm. and we were sitting in in uh, in the lounge room at our manager's place, and we're going, oh well, that was a nice effort. It's a shame about that. Yeah. And then uh, and then just a couple of weeks later it just started to climb and then it just went ridiculous. happens record companies go oh well you've got to have another hit so they looked at the album and they didn't think we had any other hits okay. so we had to go back and write some more stuff and yeah. um, record some more stuff so um, we wrote Boys Will Be Boys and Struggle yeah. Town okay yeah so that was next the two next two singles great so it, I guess it worked in that regard but um, yeah uh, so that meant the album was a long time coming out sure um, and there were other sort of political stuff going on and which meant that the album was, it was like a platinum single and the album did go double platinum but if we'd released it, you know, with Run to Paradise, you know, it would have been much better for it, I think. Sure. But anyway, it worked out okay. It worked out great. It's yeah. one, one of the biggest selling albums of the 80s <laughs> by any Australian band, that's fantastic. Yeah, it's good. Good yeah. fun. Cool. So what about the guitar part? So when you're on the farm, how much stuff had you worked out there to bring into the studio? 
Um, most of the rhythm stuff, you know, because yeah. there's a lot of counterparts. Yeah, yeah. That's what I liked about Big Bad Noise is there were two guitar parts yeah. that were separate. Yeah, it's really clear that. Yeah, there's two. The two parts. And, 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 and that's really what I used to like doing when I was writing my stuff. Yeah. Was, and it wasn't all me, you know, it was, there was stuff already written, there was stuff that Peter contributed to and mm -hmm. stuff that I put in, but yeah. it just overall, the whole texture of it was broader because of the, yeah. you know, the, the two parts. So that was, that was worked out a lot of it. Um, we did do some of that <coughs> in the studio, yeah. Um, but then all the solos were pretty much done on that when we went to the studio. Okay. I either, you know, took the music home and worked on them at home. Yeah. Or I did that for all of them actually, but then I'd come in and we'd work it out, work it up, um, tried a few different takes. Yeah. Um, sometimes just go, oh, I like that bit from that one, I like that bit from that one, and you know, just construct it basically sure. that way. Sure. And then try and play it all. It's great. Man, the, the Run to Paradise solo is such an iconic solo. Um, if you cover that song, you have to play the solo. <laughs> I, I had a stint in the band, they booked me for a few, just cover dates. Yeah, yeah. We, that was on the set list, and I didn't really know the solo, and end of the gig, they're like, yeah, great gig, you gotta learn that solo <laughs> Sorry, I've had, I've had people complain to me lots of times. <laughs> not, not that it's a hard solo, it's just, it's, you know, maybe it's different or something. Yeah, it's so, um, it, I think it's quite different. I mean, you're in a major key, a lot of, a lot of marks, hits are this major key thing, yeah. saying it was blazing blues licks over stuff, yeah, really think about the, the changes. Yeah, I, that's actually what I found challenging because, as I was saying, I was sort of into the fusion-y sort of, yeah. bluesy sort of mm -hmm. groove, feel sort of stuff, it's sort of a like, bit like Michael Dolce's doing with his, Yeah, yeah. I, was, I couldn't play like him, but, but I was more into that style, yeah. and so um, when I got into the choir boys it was a bit unnatural for me even okay. though I was like you know it was Black Sabbath, Status yeah, Quo, yeah. Rolling Stones it's all, it's all pop rock mm -hmm. but like you say it's very major mm -hmm. the choir boys stuff yeah so I found it quite challenging so for me the way I got into the solos was to find melodies uh -huh. and I'd find a melody and then I'd, I'd play it and then I'd answer it with something that I thought would go after that yeah and then I guess I'd just use different parts of my technique that I'd worked up to make those answers somehow interesting to myself. Yeah, cool. Um, so that's how I approached it, really. Fantastic. They're usually phrases, you know, yeah. question and answer, or what, you know, one part leads to the next, but always trying to keep the melody in mind. Yeah, cool. The, uh, the boys to be boys song, that's great, it's, um, it's, it's kind of arpeggios, it's just sending yeah, arpeggio yeah, ideas, that's, yeah. and again that's quite sophisticated over a sort of major key it, rock tune. Well, I, yeah, I just sort of did it at the time, but mm -hmm. yeah, I've had, you know, it's been nice to have guitarists, you know, come up and say that they, like, like what you just said, that sure. it was a bit different for, for the time and for yeah. what was going on at the time. 
and it probably came from you know being being a GIT mm-hmm. and being exposed to those sorts of uh, different players. Cool. Then I wouldn't have otherwise. And I like those players like Steve Lukather and Jay Graydon and Barry Carlton, and they sort of do that sort of stuff. It's melodic, but it's, uh, it's arpeggios, it's chromatics. Now, um, not only the playing was inspiring, but the videos. Now, I was, <laughs> I was around 15 or 16 when the videos came out, and there were just marshals everywhere. Yeah, yeah. And um, I assumed they were marshal quads, but when I, I look back recently, they're like these gigantic PA speakers. <laughs> they were, yeah. It's your back line. <laughs> That's right. It was a bit of a tongue-in-cheek sort of thing. And then, you know, we hired about, you know, 30 or 40 yeah. Marshall heads and stack them. Yes. On the inside, yeah. And as a kid, I'm thinking, why do you need that many heads? I don't understand. <laughs> Where are they plugged into? But it was awesome. And you had, um, you're playing Les Paul Customs in the. Yeah. In the I think they were customs, were they? Um, look, I've had I've had a couple of people say that they I've told them the real story about those Les Pauls. Yeah. Which is that we rented all those guitars. Okay. And and it is bitterly disappointed some <laughs> some people that I know now because <laughs> they thought I'd still have it and they yeah, wouldn't see yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. your bed. Yeah. <laughs> no, unfortunately not. So what was rig like in those days if you weren't running thirty Marshall heads through oh, a PA speaker? Well, we were doing the Marshall thing. We had you know probably I don't know two or three stacks aside. Yeah. And. And we were doing that um, at that point, yeah, so it was cool. sort of an exaggeration of that, I suppose. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. it was it was all for the look, you know. Sure, we were, sure. Like we used to spend more time in the rehearsal room in front of a mirror doing practicing moves <laughs> than we did practicing songs. We used to do, we used to march most of the yes, time. Yes, yeah. You know, march and do all sorts of silly, yeah. silly moves. So we spent a lot of time rehearsing that. <laughs> That's great. Yeah. Very cool. So, um, so Marshall, were you running any pedals? Uh, like for your solos? Yeah, things? look, actually, when I joined the band, I was actually running a Rivera head, yeah, which is okay. like a sort of souped-up Fender style, yeah, I suppose. Yeah. Sort of a creamy sound. Mm-hmm. Before that, I had a boogie, and it was a bit sort of... It was like the Larry Carlton thing, yeah. but it was a bit... I found the sound was a bit raspy, and I preferred the Fender sound, because mm-hmm. I started back in the early days. I had a twin. Okay. Um, but anyway, I started with that and a rack of effects. Yeah. And, and a... A strat with a Floyd Rose on it, yeah, and yeah. A, or two strats with tremolo bars on them, mm-hmm. and uh, and a Kramer and an Ibanez Roadster. Yeah, and the Kramer they took off me and put on the, they swapped. They said we want a guitar for the Hard Rock Cafe, uh-huh. and uh, so they took my Kramer, we signed it and everything, and I did use it on the album. Yeah, and they put it on the wall and they took me to a guitar shop and said, pick a guitar. <laughs> And this is the this is the budget, yeah. and so I got my '68 gold top. Wow, wow, that's awesome. <laughs> Were you happy with that deal? I was pretty happy. <laughs> and that was my start with with Les Pauls, actually. Oh, okay, really? Wow. I mean, I I played them before, but I never owned one. Okay, yep. So yeah. Wow, very cool. That was cool. So sorry, I think I've gone off the story. What were we talking about? 
what were you talking about? Your rig sort of. Oh yeah, my rig. Yeah, right. around that, that era. Yeah, so I was. It was the session thing, you know, like I had yeah. the repeater ahead and I had a rack mounted effects and stuff yeah. like that, and gradually it all got. They used to call my guitar the Pocket Fisherman. Uh -huh. Remember that Pocket Fisherman? That was like a, a oh, pocket yeah, knife. Yeah. On. It was like they used to advertise it online and had everything. It's six like, inches long. Yeah, it like yeah. did everything. It's like, yeah. <laughs> used to scale fish and it had a magnifying glass and you know, yes. probably had a fishing yes. line in it or something. So anyway, so they used to call my guitars the Pocket Fisherman because they, you know, they weren't Les Pauls or Strats yeah, or something. Sure. So anyway, so eventually I got to Les Pauls and yeah. Marshalls, one pedal. Yeah, you know, that's uh, and that's where it ended up. Cool. Yeah, very cool. So for the album, is, was that so Marshall's? Well, recording the album, we had lots of amps. Mm -hmm. You know, there were Marshalls, there were probably boxes and, and stuff like that, and and my Rivera head, yeah. and we plugged them all in. Okay. We put yeah. them in different boxes. Um, we mic'd them up differently. Put them in stone rooms mm -hmm. and put them in, you know dead rooms, ambient rooms, all oh, that sort of cool. stuff. So it was all, I think quite often the guitar sound was a mixture of different amps and mm -hmm. speaker boxes at the same time. Um, so yeah. Cool. Yeah, it was good fun. I think I read one of your first tours when you joined the Choir Boys was opening for Bon Jovi. Is that That's true? right, yeah, we did. Wow. That was cool. That's like, it's like 87, yeah, yeah. it's like the Bon yeah. Jovi, the pinnacle or on yeah, their way. That's right, yeah. They were they were really the slippery when yeah. wet, kinda of, yeah. Yeah, that's right. Wow. Tell me about that. Oh that was fun. That was um uh we learnt you know, you learn stuff, you know, you realise that all those high harmonies were in a sampler on the keyboard. Yeah. So <laughs> they come to the chorus and they just get the note <laughs> and then play it all. And um and uh John Bon Jovi used to sit underneath the, the uh, monitor's desk and watch us play. Okay. Yeah. Sometimes, yeah. Yeah, cool. Um, and uh, it was a big, I don't know, just, it was a good experience. I mean, I'd, I'd supported big acts in Queensland with my other bands, mm -hmm. but um, to be on tour with a band of that size, I'd never done that. So it was quite fun to see all the stuff that goes on backstage. Not the, yeah. not that anything, you know, weird or anything went on but just the the scale of everything you know like everyone with their special rooms and their requirements and then okay. they they'd come out looking like christmas trees you know those guys dressed <laughs> really flamboyantly in yeah, those days yeah. and um yeah so it was it was interesting it was, it was good fun good experience yeah cool and and it put us in front of a big audience which yeah. i think helped sure the single yeah yeah i assume that you would be one of those support bands that a lot of people knew of if not yeah, you know, at least through the singles. Yeah, um, that was being aware of your stuff. I think it was good. It was perfect timing in a yeah. way because, like you say, the single had been out long enough. I think this is my memory, but my memory's not so good. Um, I think it had been out long enough, so quite a lot of people knew us. But mm -hmm. it helped kick it a bit further. Yeah, I think, and I still get people come up saying, first time I ever saw you was supporting Bon Jovi." Okay, all the time. Wow. Yeah. So a lot of people must have seen it. Yeah, cool. Bon Jovi was huge back then. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So you did the follow-up in, oh, it was around 91, I think, Midnight Sun, that yes. album? Yes, So that was recorded in LA. Yeah. So, so your old stomping ground, I guess. Yeah, yeah. JRT days. In fact, we stayed only a few blocks away from where I lived. Oh, really? Yeah, in <laughs> West cool. Sort of in Hollywood. Yeah. I knew, I knew the building, in fact. So you'd have been the cool guy in the band, because you would have known the... 
it's funny you know, more than that. yeah I, I got to drive them all around yeah cool. <laughs> so I knew where to go nice yeah it was it was it was fun actually it was um, the record company hired us two convertible cars so mm -hmm. we had these two convertibles we drove around <laughs> it and all, these other bands we met from other record companies they go how come you guys have got convertibles <laughs> and I later found out why it's because we still will never see any money from that album because okay. we spent so much money <laughs> <laughs> driving around in convertibles <laughs> that's great yeah. it's great yeah. the album um, it's got a different production kind of vibe I guess to yeah. to big bad noise it's um it's much bigger yeah, sounding the harm, uh, yeah, the harmonies, the backing vocals are bigger. Yeah. The guitars sound a bit thicker to me. Yeah, a bit gainier maybe. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, how much is that a product of the production team in in LA? Well, yeah, I think it was probably it was um, it was probably their influence. Mark Tanner was the producer on that, and he um, he'd worked with Nelson. Okay, which yep. was like they were sort of a pop, yeah, sort yeah. of metal. Yeah, Brett Garson was doing that. That's right, he was too. Yeah. yeah, that's right. And um, yeah, it was the, it was the time, the era of yeah, big guitars and yeah. Um, so yeah, it was it was less nuanced than Big Bad Noise, and I think um, Mark always um, worked hard to make sure producers didn't overproduce our stuff. Okay, so yep. that it, it would. Well, you know, so it'll be more timeless, I guess. Yeah, sure. Um, it's a double negative. No, it doesn't quite well sound. <laughs> right uh, but so it seemed more timeless. Yeah. yeah. Um, so it was more produced, but it would have been a lot more produced if Mark yeah. hadn't been okay. sort of on the. Yeah. On the. It's realm. interesting you say that then, because I, I think both albums they they sonically they're in kind of different places, but yeah. I think they both hold up really well. Yeah. I think the guitar tones. Hold up beautifully, for yeah, example, especially compared to a lot of early '90s, yeah, you know, rock albums. It was the era of too much effects and all yeah. sorts of stuff. And and to be honest, I was guilty of that before I joined the band. Yeah, you know, I had the effects <laughs> racks and I used yeah. to use the Wayne Bar a lot and all that yeah. sort of stuff. And um, so, yeah, we avoided that in the music. We didn't avoid it in the film clips, as you were yeah, alluding yeah. to, with the big hair and all that yeah, sort of yeah. stuff that you can't. Now erase from history, <laughs> and kind of like go and fix the hairdos or <laughs> the clothes. Should I be? Anyway, yeah. Cool. It's fun. So how does that work for you? So you take your guitars over. You, I assume, you're using amps. Over the there. states. Yeah. Um, yeah, we rented stuff. Rented yeah. um, amps and drums and yeah. Um, and um, I actually bought my sunburst Les Paul there on that trip in Holland, wow. and. Um, um, but we probably took guitars, I'd say, I can't remember now, but mm -hmm. I, I would imagine so. Sure. Yeah. Cool. We're looking at, um, you won't hear this on the podcast, but we're looking at a beautiful uh, Sunburst Custom. I don't know if I've seen many customs in that kind of Sunburst yeah, it, finish. They're like not from the black or the... Yeah, that's right. Yeah, you don't see a lot of them. It's a 74, I think. Wow, cool. Looks awesome. It's pretty... I like it. Yeah, <laughs> it hasn't got any flame in the in the wood or anything. It's very plain. Yeah, right. Yeah, but it's a pretty sunburst, I think. Yeah, definitely. And the lacquer's all checked in the yeah. nicest way. That's cool. <laughs> I have to show you my gold top later. Yeah, cool. Man, it's, I would love to see gold top. It's nuts. It's the crazing on that. It's, <laughs> gr it's green. Yeah. yeah it's. Yeah. 
Great. I think it's because um, when I was out of the band for 17 years, mm -hmm. um, part of that time I lived in the Blue Mountains for six months, uh, six years. Okay. Yeah. And uh, they were in a shed. Yeah. So they were affected by the weather. Okay. <laughs> they got very cold. Wow. That's worked out well. Yeah. That looked cool. Yeah. <laughs> they look cool. So cool. So you did the um, so Midnight Sun came out, um, and you finished up in around ninety two. Yeah, ninety two, ninety three. So yeah, I think probably ninety two, late ninety two, maybe. Okay. Yeah, I think somewhere yeah. around there. And what led you to that decision? Um, they sacked me. Oh really? <laughs> yeah. How could they sack you? Uh, well. Yeah, things weren't going so well for the band. Sure. It was, you know, it was a bit of a struggle. Um, there were a lot of sackings in those days, okay. like yeah. managers and stuff like that. Um, and I got meningitis, and, okay. I, and I was out of out of commission for eight weeks. Wow! And I think they just got used to playing three piece, and mm -hmm. and I thought, oh, well, we'll sack someone and yeah. see how it goes. Okay. <laughs> so they sacked me, and I left, and. Um, Lindsay wasn't happy about it, so he left six months later. Okay. Um, and so then it was just Ian and Mark for the for the next seventeen years mm -hmm. with various drummers and guitarists. Okay. Yeah. Because um, he eventually realised that he needed another guitarist. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, um, and he had they had lots of good guitarists. They had um, Richard Lara, mm -hmm. um, and they had Bob Spencer. Yeah, I saw. And Bob yeah, did that. Quite a few people. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that's why I left, but sure. but then, um, it, it was, it was because of what was going on, you know, things weren't going well, everyone yeah. was fighting about stuff and, um, I think Lindsay and I felt unhappy with the direction we were going and sure. we had no power to, to do anything about yeah. it. So it was, it was all that sort of stuff that bands go through that, you know. Yeah. It's all, we're all friends now. Yeah, that's <laughs> great. I mean, early 90s too, that's a hard time for rock bands. Like the whole grunge thing comes in. That's right, yeah. Um, like I think of the bands that were big in Australia, late 80s, so there was you guys, I mean, the Angels. Yeah, yeah. Um, that, that whole Aussie rock thing, you know, was, was huge. But yeah. Um, even all the way from Seattle, it seemed like it was wiping out a lot of that. Yeah, yeah, that's true. That thing. And, and record companies, of course, um, were shying away from yep, that's you know, that classic rock kind of sound. Yeah, exactly. They were, everything was changing. They were all, in fact, you know, it was that Stock Aitken and Waterman and all that sort of, you know, yeah, the, the yeah. pop music, the, the Kylie's and all that sort of stuff, I suppose. But yeah. Kylie was there before, but... Um, there's one thing I remember is is our record companies constantly bringing out these weird producers for us to work with. Okay. And we had um, this great guy and, and probably a good producer but not a rock producer. We had a guy named Mike Duffy mm -hmm. and he, he was from the Stock Aiken and Waterman team. Oh really? Dance music, you know. Wow. And they brought him out because he was from Stock Aiken and Waterman and they <laughs> wanted some hits. So they brought him out to produce us. Like, yeah, it didn't work. Didn't work. Yeah, so we had a few of those sort of okay collaborations, but um, anyway, yeah, I I did I did stay in the industry for a bit, a little bit longer, maybe for another two years. I I joined the Lancaster Bombers with Alan oh, Lancaster. Okay. Yeah. Yep. And um, Steve Crofts was the other guitarist, and sadly he passed away this year. Um, but we did we did a lot of 
gigs, Angry used to sing with the band. Oh, okay. And yeah. um, uh, John Swan sang one gig. Yeah, it was sort of like a... And we'd play as different things. We'd play as the Bombers one week, next week we were the Angry Anderson band, the next week we were the Party Boys. Uh-huh. So it was like this sort of yeah, floating, because cool. Alan was part of the Party Boys original okay. thing and all yeah, that. Yeah. Um, so we did a, a, two or three tours over to Scandinavia and, and mm-hmm. played there a bit, which was fun. And I just started to feel... I don't know, for some reason I felt I was too old to rock and roll. Uh-huh. I, was, I don't know what I was, I was probably in my early 40s or something. Uh-huh. <laughs> so I wasn't really too old to rock and roll, no. I just felt it. Sure. And then I, I played in a covers duo with a friend for, for a year. And the last night that I was, I was going to finish playing, some guy attacked me in the, in the club. He thought, oh, wow. he, mistook, he mistake me, mistook me, sorry, for someone else. Okay. And he got me on the floor and started kicking my head in. Wow. So I thought, well, that's probably a good, good reason to give up for a bit. Yeah, right. But really right. the reason I got out of the industry was because um, I felt I was too old to rock and roll and because um, I was a bit jaded, jaded about the industry because mm-hmm. when we were big and everything was going well, there were lots of people around. Yeah. Lots of people I thought were my friends. Then when we weren't big, they disappeared. Wow. And I was really disillusioned about, about that. Sure. So I just sort of... I can't be bothered with this industry anymore. Yeah, right. So I got out. Sure. Didn't play my guitar for about 15 years. Really? Yeah. Wow. I wish I had now. <laughs> <laughs> but, you, but you are now. What, what, yeah. what brought you back to guitar? Well, someone suggested we do a reunion. So we had a, a, when I had a meeting in a coffee shop, another meeting in a coffee shop, and, um, and just chatted to see if we could you know, if it would work and uh, there were lots of apologies and you know reconciliations and yeah, cool. you know, nice stuff said and all yeah. that and uh, so we decided to do a reunion gig at the Metro uh-huh. and um, that was in 2010. Okay. We did that and it was a great night, it was full, Yeah. mostly of all our friends <laughs> but it was it was a good, good gig and uh, and we've been playing ever since with this lineup. Fantastic. And uh, yeah, the the guys are really happy, here. and it feels right. We, you know, it gels because we played on the records, and yeah, you know, it is the lineup. You know. Yeah, cool. Yeah, excellent. And I see you doing. Um, you've got a gig coming up at the Bridge Hotel. Yeah. Are you guys recording that? Yeah, we are. We um, we have recorded. We recorded our shows on the Def Leppard tour when we supported Def Leppard and Heart. Mm-hmm. Um, a couple of years ago, mm-hmm. uh, we recorded those things and yep. we uh, mixed and mastered. It could be a full album, but there's yep. a couple of tracks we'd like to add to it. Oh, okay, cool. So it, that's already mixed and mastered, but we're going to record the whole sh- whole set oh, and great. see if we can add a bunch of other songs to a live CD. Yeah, cool. Yeah, that'd be great. Yeah, sounds fun. great. Good to hear you guys still getting new stuff together. And yeah. New shows. And yeah, we've actually we've also got a studio album recorded and okay. mi- and mastered, okay. ready to go. But we just think we're going to do the live thing first. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Cool. Mm. Fantastic. Now, is the studio album new material? Yeah. Yeah. Great. Yeah. How how does that work with the Quiet Boys? I had the impression Mark does most of the writing, but is that the case? Um, it yeah it used to be has has been yeah um so it was sort of gradually. 
um, everyone getting more involved. Midnight Sun, everyone was involved more. Yep. Um, and then with this, we're all, yeah, we all sort of put in. So it's all a collaboration thing with right. the whole lot, so it's good. Yeah, cool. Excellent. Yeah. Oh, I'm really looking forward to hearing that stuff. That's Thank cool. You. Very good. And uh, anything else coming up that we should... Uh, um, with you? You don't with mean I'm me? Playing? Yeah, I'm um, playing with Jay yep. in August and November maybe? No, October, I think. Um, doing the, the Guitars Gently Weep, Paul McCartney and Eric Clapton show. That's I think August the nineteenth. We're at um, at the bridge. Great, which should be fun. Looks good. Fun. Going back to the roots. Nice. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm doing that this weekend. I'm doing uh, an Adele Amy show with um, James Morley from the Angels oh, yeah, and yeah. his partner um, Amanda. Cool. Um, I've done that once before at the basement. That was that was good fun. Yeah, so I'm cool. doing that again. Doing a couple of other shows with them in September. Um, I'm playing, um, playing with Screaming Jets oh, awesome. for two weeks um, while Jimmy's wife has a baby. Okay, yeah. So I'm doing on their tour that's coming up with the baby animals. Oh, great! So that'll be fun. Doing uh, two nights in Adelaide at the Gov and I think Newcastle and Hobart. Fantastic. So I'm a bit nervous about learning all that material <laughs> at the moment. Um, Man, yeah. Newcastle, that's their home ground. I know, that's <laughs> what I was thinking. Oh God, I'm going to be playing to their home, their home <laughs> territory. So I have to make sure I know the songs. That's great, man. That sounds cool. Yeah. Very good. Excellent. Thanks. Well, man, so great to meet you yeah. and hear all your stories and be able to ask you these questions about these songs I've always wondered about yeah. and stuff. So fantastic. Thank you. All right, there you go, my conversation with Brett Williams. What a good guy and, man, really such a great guitar player. It's really left a mark on the Australian guitar landscape for sure. Jimmy Hocking, your guitar parts are in good hands <laughs> when, you, uh, when Brett sits in for you in the Jets. That sounds like an awesome tour, the Jets and the Baby Animals. That should be super cool too. Uh, of course, the, uh, the Choir Boys dates uh, coming up as well, June 16, Bridge Hotel. That looks really cool. I'm going to try and get to some of this stuff. Okay. Oh, yeah. The uh, 1968 Les Paul. Yes. I played it. It was incredible. It wasn't plugged in and it rocked super hard already. So beautifully set up and, and ready to go, that thing. Man, great guitar. I'll try and post some pictures if I can. Now, as I mentioned, Jay Perino helped set up the interview. Jay was there on the night and uh, we got to talk to him about the shows he has with Brett as well. So I thought we'd, uh, we'd ask him all about it. We're with our friend Jay Perino. Hey, good to uh, be sneaking in on this podcast. <laughs> hey, thank you for um, introducing me to you, Brett. That's very cool. That's uh, my pleasure. I've been loving all the episodes that you've... I think I was number 20 and now you're up to what? Almost 50. By the time this comes out, it'll be 50-something. Wow, okay. So yeah, I've been loving like, Brett Garstead and Joe Robinson. Yeah, it's been a really fun show to listen to. Cool. Now you put on heaps of really cool shows all around Sydney. Tell me about the guitars gently weep. I was excited when I saw this. It looked like such a good yeah. idea. Yeah, I will. Yeah, it was the idea of doing a doing a tribute to two great guitar players or two great songwriters, 
and also like to be able to bring in special guests. So we're doing doing one with Chris Camzellas, yeah, and obviously doing one with Brett. Right. Um, yeah. So just the show, a, a showcase of that I guess has a crossover appeal to people that are into any type of music, but yeah. also um, slightly guitar focused fans and for guitar lovers like yourself and yeah, me yeah. and Brett and that we can get to do our thing and you know a platform for us to have some fun as well yeah awesome yeah that's the idea it's great and the, the, the name comes from um, while my guitar gently weeps which obviously is a Beatles song that Eric Clapton yeah, played yeah. on that's the crossover that, that's the link very cool very cool and you've got um Bobby Poulton yeah so I want, really wanted to have a male bassist that could uh, sing because when you're doing the cream stuff uh, this is some um, Jack Bruce yeah, obviously yeah, do, yeah. doing lead on a bunch of that yeah so yeah he, he sings White Room and uh, Sunshine and Politician that the stuff that Jack Bruce would sing and he's he's just finished the uh, Dummy Im tour oh yeah, yeah which he was doing a lot of vocals for so he's really, he's really pushed his voice and he sounds awesome yeah he's great oh, you've seen him at Frankie's so he's Frankie's band yeah. the BV like the band's killer but mm -hmm. the BVs oh, they're tight yeah because they, they do many BBs, but when they do, it sounds killer. Yeah, he's got that really it's high nice. voice that just projects. See the high going? Yeah. Why is the bass player the high? <laughs> screaming Jets as well, hey. Yeah. And they're always Appreciate really, they're always really tall. Like Ian Hume is like <laughs> six foot four, and Bobby's a giant. And tall bass players that sing high. <laughs> Perfect. That's what you need. Yeah. Excellent. Cool. And you're playing a ton of guitar on the gig, I guess. Oh, I'm always playing a ton of guitar. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. Cool. So, what are the dates? Uh, August 19 uh, at the Bridge Hotel. Yeah. Um, October 14 at Wentworthville Leagues. Oh yeah, cool. With, with Brett as well. Oh great. And um, November 11 at Canterbury Leagues with with not Brett but with Ian Hume on bass. Okay. So uh, Bobby Bobby will lead away. So. Okay. Cool. Well, at least we have one choir boy per gig. <laughs> nice. That's that's a good <laughs> ratio. Yeah. We'll at least have one choir boy. Yeah. Perfect. Cool. Thanks, Jay. Thanks. Good stuff. All right, thank you, Jay, for those details. Now, I did lie, we're not up to 50-something, we're up to 49. This is episode 49. But we've got a few more ready to uh, go and lots of good things coming up, lots of good things in the works. So stay tuned. Hey, we're on Facebook and Instagram and you can listen to any of our previous episodes by uh, subscribing on iTunes or Stitcher or heading over to guitarspeakpodcast.libson.com. Okay, time for me to go. Thank you so much for joining me today. I hope you enjoyed it. My name is Matt Wakeling, and you've been listening to the Guitar Speak podcast. Bye now.